Welcome to another episode of Chewing the Fat. Please don't trim that fat. I'm Carlos. I'm Queena. And I'm Dr. Johnson. And this week's episode is entitled The Generational Divide. But first, off the back porch this week, Dr. Johnson, what do you have? Well, there's been some debate among, among many that this billion-dollar industry, the National Football League, and the debate has centered around the combine. The combine has been likened to a slave auction. So what's the question here? So is the NFL combine similar to slave auctions that happened in the 1800s? Is that the same process? Do we really look at the measurements, the running, the weightlifting, looking at hand size? Is that similar to how bucks were selected back in slavery time? Because again, the conversation comes from that breeding process. Is that the same? Are we still using those same methods and tactics to select gentlemen for the National Football League? I would say so, especially when you talked about the breeding part of, you know, because let's just be honest. What upsets African-American women highly upsets them. I ain't going to say all of them, a lot of them. What upsets them is when African-American athletes start having some success in their lives. And the women that they're selecting as wives aren't African-American. So, well, I, well, I think that it's kind of dangerous to kind of throw that out without looking at numbers. And then also there was a time when an African-American male marrying a Caucasian female was illegal. So I think that's kind of taking it in a different direction. I just want to kind of stay focused on the aspect of is it a modern day slave trade? What do you think, Queen? How is it not? Hmm. <laughs> uh, well, well, for one, they get for one, they get paid. Well, they were, they were given rent. Got paid. So, they were given rent. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know if we can liken it. I don't know if we can liken it to the slave trade because NFL players are paid handsomely. So I, I don't, I don't know if that's a great comparison and contrast. Are they potentially, you know, if you want to say objectified or looked at for their stamina? Yes. Is it a modern day slave trade? I think that's a reach. Okay. How not though? I don't like comparing it to the slave trade. I've been struggling with this since we decided to even talk about it. I see that as an insult to the ancestors. They're not starving. Again, they are paid handsomely. So it's not a modern day slave trade. They're not mistreated. At the end of this, they're going to get a contract worth millions of dollars. So go ahead and look at them. Okay. But how are they not mistreated? How are they mistreated? It took the players union and some of the retired players and a great many deaths before they even wanted to acknowledge the scientific data behind CTE and the deaths that was resulting from. So how is it not? He specifically is talking about the combine, them being brought to one particular place, just like they were being brought back to market and being viewed and looked at as if they were slaves. And I'm saying that that is not a good comparison. That's not a one to one because it's not the same situation. So I, I understand that, that, again, that they are being looked at and objectified and looked at for their strength and agility the way books were. But at the end of the day, slaves were not paid. And so I don't think that that is a good comparison. Well, let me play devil's advocate here. 
And just to be clear, I do think that it's not a fair comparison due to the monetary compensation. However, when we look at it from a standpoint of a human being placing a value on their life, and I think that a lot of this is kind of surface due to the fact that now that we know about CTE, the dangers of playing the sport, how they're, they're locked into those aspects of endangering their life and their health in order to make millions of dollars. However, when we look at the rate that they go broke, that you're looking at 85 to 90 percent wind up in bankruptcy. They have little to no other skills to function in society. So I don't think that there's a one to one. All right. There's not apples to apples comparison. Of course not. But when those type of conversations are brought up, a lot of young men from poor communities have brought up the fact that they don't have any other options, that they're not going to be the brain surgeon. They're not going to be the lawyer, the doctor. So and I think that's where the comparison surface from, especially with, again, looking at the life expectancy, the length of an NFL career. So what are you really trading for that money that's actually capped and actually winds up spent? Will it actually last you a lifetime when you're giving up half of your life to even be in this sport? The junior Seau's dying at 50. The Earl Campbell that can barely walk now because of all of the injuries. So I, I think that's where the comparison surfaced. I think that's an excellent point. And if you put it all on paper, if you described a slave auction and you described an NFL combine, the events that take place, sort of like an agenda. If you looked at the agendas of both those institutions, I would say, it's very few things there. They would be dissimilar simply because, like you said, the whole how it's presented Oh, you bring them in. You herd them in like cattle, and you put them on display like a livestock show. And then when you hear those NFL announcers and commentators describe the draft and the combines and when they talk about the players, they're talking about them almost like at a livestock show they would auction off an animal. Show horse. <laughs> Come on, show horse. Jump. Run. Hey, man. As time change, things change. When you look at previous generations of football players, they were making a whole lot less money. But then again, it wasn't a whole lot of money just folded around. Now, multi-million dollar contracts are the norm now. But that wasn't always so. As we say in the South, back in the gap, that wasn't the case. You're talking about somebody like Broadway Joe, who was making like $100,000 a year, man. Come on, man. This man a legend, and let's just be real. He's not African-American. This is not about race. This is about how human beings are treated. If we value being human and govern our actions to reinforce the notion of us being human beings on this planet, but we turn around and do that. We turn around and say, hey, I have this absolute stud. Come see him. And not only do you come see him, you start following that person from an early age. Hey, and they use those terms on Sports Center. He's a stud. Yeah. They, they do. They do. So that lets you know what the mindset is. They're not looked at as a person. They're looked at as a product. Same way slaves were. As a commodity, right? Thank you, Dr. Johnson. I thought I was going to get an amen sooner or later. Well, not necessarily so. I'm just, you know me, I like to hear both sides of the point. But I do realize that, one, with all of the injuries, you see more and more players retiring after they see the medical evidence. You see the number of 
like peewee league programs is declining. You see a lot of parents saying that they won't let their children play. And there are some researchers suggesting that in the future, there will go the way of the gladiator ring that pro football, pretty much football as a whole, probably has a shelf life of about 40 or 30 years. Well, 40 to 50 years. So that has been a conversation. So, Ms. Queen, how would you expound on your take on this? As I was saying, I don't think that it's a one-to-one comparison because no one is making these men do it. They see it as an opportunity. Again, they are handsomely paid and they're not being beaten. They're not being whipped. I understand that, uh, what's the concussion disease? CTE. CTE is a horrible, horrible byproduct of being a part of the NFL. I get that. But speaking as far as the combine, I think I'm having a hard time because of the money. (laughs) So I get that their bodies are being put on display, but they are being compensated heavily, which makes them, which, which is why they show up. Okay. Might I interject for a second? And only because Queen, first of all, Dr. Johnson and I, we didn't disagree with you. It is not a one-to-one comparison. But the question that he posed was, is the NFL combine akin to a modern-day slave auction? And we're not saying we're comparing apples to the apples here, but there are a lot of similarities. They're trying to extend the season, and the players are outraged. I mean, come on, even mules got to have a break every once in a while. Well, I, I would just like to close by saying this, that While I don't agree with it being akin to or even nowhere near remotely related to a slave auction, I do believe that they need to get the value that they're worth, the value of their life, their time and effort that they put into that process, because you have men that are investing in the NFL that walk away with those profits, but they're not walking away with all of the. Yeah, they're not walking away with the injuries. They're not walking away with the aspect the quality of life is different yes absolutely so and and just to kind of wrap it up that that although yes i definitely disagree that it's not a slave auction but they do need to make sure in this this most recent cba negotiation that they get the value and they make sure they include those conversations about their life expectancy and that they're getting guaranteed contracts right that's something that other professional sports get, you shouldn't have your way of life ended because you were on the field performing and something happened to you that was outside of your control and it destroys and changes your way of life. I just think that's the the piece they need to address. All right, at this point, I think we should transition into our core topic. Aquina, would you lead us off with our core topic? Sure. I think this week we wanted to talk about the generational divide. We are at a very unique time in history where we have the majority of four generations alive at one time. And so I would be speaking in regards to the boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z. What a time to be alive. Okay, Dr. Johnson, your thoughts? Well, so I know it's coming. Well, I think it's an excellent opportunity. And all of this is possible due to modern medicine, us being aware of lifestyles and and being able to really live longer lives than our predecessors. But I think it also causes some conflict when you when you have conversations about expectations of family, marriage. 
I think we're at a crossroad where we really haven't defined those pieces. And it's become difficult to really have generational conversations because we are so different. Even myself, I find it difficult to have these conversations. I have an 18-year-old child. I have a 20-year-old child. And those expectations, that divide is often difficult for me to deal with from the standpoint of, let's just go to doing chores. I did chores as a kid, not because I was paid to do them, but that's how we survived in our household. We had to work together to get things done. Now, whenever I have a conversation with my children about doing things around the house or what those expectations look like, there's a conversation about compensation. And it blows my mind, like, really? I need to pay you to take out the garbage? I need to pay you to mow the yard? So my family in Louisiana, they love to harass me about this topic. Oh, they, they love about it. Oh, oh, they, oh. They ain't you, about it by a long shot. You letting your child run your house? <laughs> when did we start that in this family? But what I try not to do, right, in, in an attempt to bridge that divide is try to understand their concepts of family life. We're in a new information age. And I get that those things are won't be the same. But goodness gracious, working together to make it, I think that should be universal across all generations. That shouldn't be something that's unique to our generation or the boomer generation. We need to work together. And I think that's the piece that's missing. Because when you look at, and Queena, you can definitely speak to this. When you look at all of the curriculum within education or even just the standards that we're talking about within courses, secondary and post-secondary we're having to talk to people about teamwork like right. really <laughs> that baffles me sometimes right and one of the one of the things that we find ourselves having to work with a lot in the post-secondary space is going back and teaching soft skills we found that that's one thing that this generation is missing they're missing, what they're those. missing is home training that's what they miss <laughs> And a good old-fashioned ass woman. But you can't... Well, expound, please expound on that. So what do you mean? Because, again, that's illegal now. So. I know. That's why I say it. See, and that's the divide. So how do you that's translate those values? And I'm glad you brought that up. Like I said in last episode, you said, oh, Carlos, does the statute of limitation go out of... Yeah, I said my mother beat me. And you know what? Like I told you then, I'm grateful that she did because it saved my life. You don't understand how much of a rambunctious kid I was, man. I have grown in all aspects of my life. And that growth can be attributed to some of those beatings that I took. I ain't going to continue to use that term. <laughs> but, you know, I'm going to call a spade a spade. That's what it was. Let's say discipline. Let's just say the discipline you received. We won't say beatings. <laughs> okay, I, I have a I have a question for Carlos. You're also the father of two daughters. You have a, a teenager currently. Are you sparing the rod? Mm, no, you know. But I think as I grew as a parent, and as time went on, like I said, as time changed, children change, and your parental style must change with that. It went to a more of a conversational thing, helping her to understand and my approach became different. It made me evolve as a parent. Next question. 
Miss Queen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you the one grandstanding talking about they need their bus whooped. Now you're saying that the dynamics changed and they don't. So we was just trying to figure it out. I said that's growth. The laws change. That's what I said. The laws change. Kids change. Laws change. Everything changes over time. I was just saying that if you try to parent the same way, you're not going to get the same result because the kids change. Say, for example, we're all Greek. When we had our Greek experience joining our respective organizations, it was one way. But when future generations of your sorority or fraternity members came, that process looked a, a lot different because those people were different. So you had to react differently. Well, so I, and I agree. So going back to the overall thing, generational divide, and, and we, we've touched on raising children. But the one that's probably fascinated me the most is the the perspective or the new way that we look at marriage and family structures. Now, I do realize that, of course, that genders have changed and roles have swapped places. But let me just say it. I think there's been a devaluing of the family unit. Now, I'm not a proponent of what that unit should look like. But I think there's definitely been a devaluing of it. And I've struggled to understand why in some aspects. Again, some people should never be married. Some people are happy or single. But when you look at all of the research and the data, I took a marriage and family course in college. And the data speaks for itself that whenever you have a child within a family unit, those children tend to be well-developed. They achieve more. Right. But I don't want to exclude some single parents that do a fantastic job. So I definitely want to say that, because as we know, with most African-American families, that they are ran by black women. Shout out Verdell Johnson Armstrong, a uh, single parent of seven. There are some single women that really should not be. I know where you're going should, with it. Right. They, they need help. They they should have thought more about the, the family unit itself than just hey, I don't like him, I don't want to be with him. It's just become too easy to walk away from those things to me. Whoa. <laughs> now you know my face all the I, and that, I knew it would be. Come on with it, queen. Let him have it. Let him have it. <sighs> have your woosaw moment and get to him. Deep breath. So I'm sure the women out there that are single mothers did not wake up one morning and say, hmm, I think I want to have a baby and raise it by myself. (laughs) (laughs) That that was not the choice. Shout out to the women who are out there deciding to do IVF or whatever procedures that they are choosing to do nowadays because that does happen. But if this was a two-party situation, I doubt again that they woke up and said, Hmm, you know what? Let me raise this baby by myself. Bye-bye, dude. I don't want your help. Go ahead and go. So I don't think that that's fair to say that some women made poor choices in deciding to raise their children by themselves. So, and again, not to attack women, again, raised by a single mother. But I think that when we we have conversations with your grandmother and your uncles, and they will tell you, well, you guys obviously don't get along. Why did you stay together? The children, right? And, and that goes to men too that decide to walk away from their families. And I think for me, it comes from the conversation of uh, one, 
um, we're talking about marriage and family, but the generational divide also comes from how you look at sex, right? Sex is a physical act defined by, by science to reproduce. But that's become a different conversation these days. Now it's not so much, and I won't say I'm a proponent of the only time you should have sex is when you're going to reproduce. That's not what I'm that's saying. That's what it sounds like. But I think is, uh, and, and that's not what I'm saying. But I think is 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 ultimately shocking that if you lay down, you have sex, and you have a kid, and you're shocked. <laughs> and that's the disturbing aspect of it for me. That now that you have this responsibility, there are certain things you should be doing because this child did not ask to be here. And no one put a gun to your head to sleep with that man or that woman. I'm not touching that one. You got this one by yourself, Dr. Johnson. You on your own with this one. I get it. I mean, I have I think I've made no uh, secret of me having uh, conservative tendencies. And, and again, not as though I've been a perfect person. I'm not saying that. Everyone makes mistakes. Uh, I've made my fair share of them, will continue to make my fair share of them. But I think that when it comes to the nurturing and taking care of children, and I hate to say this, but especially in the black community, oh, we have yeah, not stepped up to the plate of placing our children first. I'll just say it, not going to be popular. I don't think you can say that because I'm going to tell you right now, Joyce Love did a fantastic job raising two boys on her own starting at the age of 16 with less than a high school education because she dropped out in the 10th grade when she had my older brother. I can't give you that one when those are the circumstances from which I held, man, that lady held me down. you talking about raises two rambunctious children that the streets was calling every day. Being an inner city kid and growing up in neighborhoods riddled with dope, crime, prostitution, you name it. Being exposed to that at an early age with a mother who had to work two jobs to keep food on the table and lights on in the house. Okay, and I agree. And again, like I said, shout out Verdell Johnson Armstrong did the same things, and I get that. But I think it's a larger conversation. Let's take a look at the data, right? Let's look at the percentage of black families that are struggling, right? And that probably could do better together than they do apart. I mean, we can't touch on black families not being together without, and I, I hate to sound like a hotel pill, sorry if I offend in hotels, but we can't talk about black families not being together and not touch on the removal of the black man from the home. So Thank you. the Thank reason... You, Come on, Section 8. So you, oh, you, you give the black woman welfare and food stamps and then you tell them, well, no, you can't have a man living in your home. And then they come and inspect. They inspect to make sure ain't no man living in your home. So you give this government assistance and then strip the man out of the home. So many of our black families are torn apart. For that reason. Oh, you right up my alley. <laughs> they running the isolation play, huh, man? <laughs> so, I mean, we can't talk about the destruction of our families and not mention that because that is definitely a huge attribute to why the breakdown of black families that started in the 60s and the 70s. Well, let's go back to your liberal policymakers. Who put those rules in place? I'll tell you, that's been my issue with the Democratic Party to an extent from the conversation of who put those laws and rules in place? Who governs those? I am a former Section 8 inspector, right? I saw that firsthand. And I never could understand that you want the child in the home, but you're saying that since I'm giving you a few dollars, and let's be clear, 
you're not going to live a lavish lifestyle on Section 8 food stamps and welfare. You're not. And I, I have an issue with these liberal policies of saying, hey, I'm giving you something, I'm helping you, I'm giving you a hand up. When you're carving out that woman's right to choose whether or not that man is in her life by saying that here's the economic value of him not being there and here's the economic value of him being there. Take a pick. Well, I don't know what neighborhood you grew up in, but you're saying they're they not going to live a lavish lifestyle on Section 8. <laughs> the women in my neighborhood did. Boy, they was rolling. You be behind them in the grocery store. They got three buggies. They got a buggy. They two kids got a buggy. And you behind it with your little hand basket full of items that you can afford. And they got shrimp, steak, lobster tails, all that. So go right back to the projects and hook it up. And you struggling to put food on your table while having to subsidize that. All of my conservative listeners, Mr. Carlos Love just made my point. <laughs> They made it. They made a choice. So now you make it a choose between those things. Now get now understand you may be able to shop like that once in that month. But what are you doing for other things? What are you doing for sending that kid to tutoring? What are you doing to send that kid to that camp that they want to go to that math camp, that reading camp? Those are the things that really shape a child's life, not steak and shrimp. Hold on, you say I made your point, but you was missing mine. What they're doing, Dr. Johnson, is what they have to do. And the male that they choose to have in their life is doing what they have to do, too. And those aren't always going to be noble things. Not given the options that are available to those type of people that we were discussing theoretically, since we have both your good government and Queen's good government jobs to consider here. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I just want to finish by saying that, again, as time change, things change, people change. Over the generations, our grandparents were having like 13 children. Our parents were having like three and four. Then we came along, we having like one, two. And then you got kids now, like my oldest daughter, she shared with me that she's not altogether sure that she want to have children. And my youngest daughter even said that after, you know, of course, my grandson came to visit by marriage, by the way, but she shared that with me. So the mindset has changed over time. Dr. Johnson, you made reference to it earlier, and I wanted to interject and induce that counterpoint because statistically, it's a lot of young couples that don't even want to have children. I they see it as an unnecessary burden. I was trying to jump in. Go ahead. I was just gonna, <laughs> I was just gonna add and and say Double that Dutch, you know <laughs> our families' values have changed. So again, back to the generational divide. Younger generations don't value the same thing that the older generations value. I'll speak as a divorcee. I'm probably the only divorcee on the panel, and it's not that I didn't value my marriage the same way older people did. What I did value was staying in a bad situation. And so what younger people are now seeing is, hey, I ain't got to stay with this dude 20, 30 years. You know, I'm out. So, again, it's just a shift in belief. There's a shift in values and there's a shift in our desired outcome. We have a different desired outcome. Fix it, Apostle. Fix it. So I just want to make sure that I go back and say 
that in no way am I categorizing or placing blame at the feet uh, of any one sector. I'm just saying that from our parents' generation that were growing their own food and sewing their own clothes, and I think this speaks to that generational vibe when we talk about economic resources, family expectations, right, coming together to make it, right? I went home to my mother's hometown, Farmerville, Louisiana, this weekend. We had conversations of how we made our own clothes, how we went and on the weekends and worked in the chicken coop to get eggs. And if you wanted anything from the field, you had to go out and till the soil and help them pull in the corn and pull the greens and pull the cabbage up. Even though we were not economically rich, we didn't have uh, a lot of resources. We stayed together and we were able to survive because we worked together and we were able to sustain a family with very few financial resources, but with a lot of hard work and love. And I think that's what's missing from this current generation, because now it's, oh, it's, it's the jeans I have on. It's the shoes that make me happy. For us, it was spending time together and working together. And I think that's a huge difference. But, Dr. Johnson, as times change, people change. Look at generations now. They're all but socially inept because they're so into social media and their phones. And so there's no face-to-face -face interaction. A lot of people live in isolated lifestyles because they don't really interact with anybody other than when they need companionship, I would say. But there's no real relationships going on or anything like that. And let's face it, their mindsets are just totally different. If you look at it like in the workplace, for instance, I remember back when I graduated from college, it was considered taboo to what they say in the South to, to job hop. It was taboo. Your resume had to reflect loyalty to the firm you represented back in those days. But nowadays, they don't care about that. If they're unhappy somewhere, they are leaving that place and going to find another job. It's simple as that. So the mindset is different. But where did that divide happen? What can you attribute the divide to? I'm going to kind of touch on both of them. As we transition, I think that it's up to us. And I'll have to own this one because I don't think that Gen X has done a very good job of passing down those values to the next generation. And so we should be the keepers of those values that our parents have passed down to us to give to the next generation. And we got to do a better job at that. So I'll be the first person to own that and say that we need to step up to the plate and help to give those values and things to the next generation, which is probably why they don't see the value in staying at a job and doing the job hopping. Because again, we haven't given those things to them. My mom worked for years at AT&T. That was it. She wanted to get her job at the plant and retire. And she would have retired from AT&T had they not left Shreveport. Because again, that's what they were told to do. You get on a job, you stay there for 20 years, you be a loyal employee where our loyalty has shifted. Our loyalty is not to companies anymore. Our loyalty is to ourselves and our families. Fix the apostle. Well, Dr. Johnson, I know it's coming. <laughs> well, before I go into my preferences or my perceptions, let's talk about how the, the economy has changed. Some of those things are dictated by the modern economy, the 21st economy. From this standpoint, there are many more opportunities to start your own company because many things are outsourced. So with a lot of those things being outsourced, 
is definitely difficult to say you're going to be with a company with such and such number of years when those positions and those lower level skills and I, I hate to really term it that way, but lower level skills are not as valued. What's valued these days is that complex worker who can take a project and initiate the project, finish a project and deliver it to a company. So where that company doesn't see the value anymore of having an individual sit in a office or a cubicle and have this massive expense of building a team, keeping a team and having everyone with specific skills when you can outsource and say, hey, come in and do X, Y, Z for me. We pay you a contract fee and I'm not paying Social Security. I'm not paying workman's comp. I'm not paying unemployment insurance. I'm just paying a set fee and I move forward with my product. So that's changed a lot. Yeah, there are a lot of contract workers and people that work from home nowadays. Absolutely. Because, like I said, as the generations change, economic policies and everything change. So the ideas are going to be different. The way that people support themselves are going to be different. Like you referenced earlier, generations before us, they were growing their own food. They banded together as a community to survive. It's not like that anymore. Over time, we've become more and more isolated. Yeah, and I think that's the bad part of the technology, right? We don't communicate as much. Queena mentioned the fact that we have to focus on teaching soft skills, and I hear from employers all the time. Their customer service skills are horrible. You've been to some recent restaurants and stores, and you've experienced that yourself. And I think that goes back to Queena's conversation that we have to do a better job of instilling those values from the beginning and that doesn't happen anymore because now your kids spending most of their time on an ipad or on a computer they're in this isolated self-determined world where we're not having conversations with them outside of Fortnite, but that we're having these engagement opportunities with individuals and we're not doing it anymore so i think that's part of it too yeah the, the economy has changed but it also the type of interactions have changed too. And I don't know if that's for the better. The interesting fact about all of this is that people within Silicon Valley, right, within California, whereas they're selling all these devices and they're advertising that you give it to your kid and your kid can learn this, your kid can learn that. For their own children, they don't let them have electronic devices until they're in high school. Wow. Think about that. I can see that though, because look at it this way. Nowadays, you have children pretty much coming out of the womb knowing how to operate technology. I mean, you have babies that can go to their own YouTube videos that they prefer on their phone if you leave it around them. So what comes with that is, I would say, a dependency on technology. Because I can remember growing up, your parents made sure that if you was going to go out and play or go off and spend a night at somebody's house or go on a school field trip or anything, they taught you your home phone number, your address, right? and you knew that. But nowadays, how many, I'll ask you, Dr. Johnson, you're a highly educated and well-credentialed individual. How many phone numbers do you know by heart? <laughs> so I know my kid's cell phone number, my wife's cell phone number. I still remember my old home number to 4300 Simon Street in Monroe, Louisiana. That number hasn't changed. My sister took that number from house to house, my mother's old number. But other than that, Carlos, I can't remember your number. <laughs> yeah, and for the numbers that you can remember, think about it this way as well. 
what generation are you in? <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. You came up like I did, learning those things. This generation don't know that. And you but know, we have, uh, it goes back to Queena. I'm sorry, go ahead, Queena. I was just going to say, and you know what? Uh, speaking of them being so dependent on technology, I dare you to be somewhere and make a purchase, and they tell you like it's 1025, and then you come back and say, <laughs> oh, I got the 25 cent. Stand there and watch them fumble. They just going to fumble. Can't count to save their life. I take glee in doing it. I'll do it on purpose sometimes. Oh, wait, I got the 35 cent. <laughs> and I just stand there and watch them struggle to try to count it back. And, and that's truly generational, right? That but, is truly generational. That but, is truly generational. But I like what you said earlier that we have to take that, our, one, acknowledging that our generation hasn't done a good job of it. Because I tell you, I quiz my kids all the time. What's your address? What's your phone? They hate it, but I do it all the time. It's taking the time to have those conversations, as difficult as they may be, and mind fuss, kick and fight. I can tell you now, it's not an easy process. But it's taking the time and realizing that who says those values don't matter anymore? Who actually made that decision that teaching those type of things really don't matter anymore? And it goes back to something I was taught in my doctoral program. It's called the saber tooth curriculum, right? You shouldn't be teaching kids how to hunt for a saber tooth. You should be teaching them how to hunt for a lion, right? Because saber tooths don't exist anymore. But what's missing from that whole conversation is what happened to that process of teaching them and some of those things that are transferable. We don't see the areas where they are transferable because, yeah, it's great to have new, fancy and those aspects. But there are some things, those core values, right? Respecting human life, being respectful of each other. I still say yes, ma'am and no, ma'am. People give me this look when I do that. Now, of course, I need to figure out how to come up with one for a <laughs> uh, gender neutral pronoun. <laughs> and I don't mind that. No, y'all. <laughs> But I still want to. I still. I still want to give that yes, respect. Y'all know y'all. <laughs> I still want to give that respect because, again, I need to acknowledge that you are a human being. You respect it, and that we should respect each other and be able to have civil conversations. The golden rule, huh, man? Absolutely. But again, we were taught that. And why? So why is it such? Why shouldn't that be passed down? From, for instance, if in a, if I'm hunting a saber tooth and I was taught how to put together rope. I may have other things that I may use to trap that tiger with or that lion with, but learning how to put the rope together is still, it's patience, it's teaching you dedication and respect of your craft. Now it's, oh, I'm not making that rope, I'll go buy the rope. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, hey Dr. Judge, I don't mean to get off topic on that, man, but what's with all the caveman references, man? You must have had a dream you and Fred Flintstone last night or something. <laughs> Well, if if not for those foundations that they laid, we often get away from that, right? When we talk about generational divide. Yeah, it's great to be awesome and new, but you need to acknowledge those things that made it possible to do the things that you're doing today. Because if not for those things, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing today. This is true. Queen, what do you think? Um, 
I was just going to take the opportunity and say, those of us Gen Xers, if you have a chance to pour into a young person, whether it be someone at an entry level position on your job or whether it be someone who was interviewing for a job like I have, after an interview pulled young men and young women to the side and gave them advice, whether I chose to hire them or not. I actually told a young lady, hey, don't do that no more. Real time um, feedback. Real feedback. Real time feedback. Real time feedback. Yeah. And, you know, she actually took it in stride and she took it well. You know, sometimes we need to have those sister to sister or brother to brother conversations with our young people. And do they all receive it? No. But like my pastor used to say, the blood is off my hands. It's my job to try and give it to you a little bit. So that's all I kind of wanted to say there. Yes. But nowadays you almost have to have sensitivity training to interact with younger people nowadays. so I agree, because they get offended. Exactly. Can you believe that a woman snarled at me because I held a door for her? It was almost like she expected me not to. Like, oh, you know, how dare you be chivalrous to me? I couldn't believe that. So what it made me think about was this. When did that become the norm? When did being treated so poorly become not only acceptable, but expected? So much so to where when the opposite is shown to you, when someone is being kind and courteous to you, it's like you're almost offended by that. Like, how does that happen? When did it happen? Uh, Queena, I think that's <laughs> yours to take. Um, well, you know, I can't speak to that young lady. I think she was just an outlier on Anomaly, Carlos, because most... No, it's more common than you think. I'm telling you. And that was just one example. But the point I'm trying to make is... It's almost like when you're genuinely nice to a person, they give you this look like, oh, oh, where's the catch? Where's the fine print? That's because there's a shortness of kindness and people are are not genuine. And so when someone is genuine, um, it's kind of unbelievable. Like, oh, you really being genuine and kind to me? I can't believe it. That's the point I was trying to make. My question was, at what point did that become the societal norm? I wouldn't say it's the norm. Man, please. I wouldn't say it's, Man, I would not please. say that that's the norm. So let me go ahead and say what Carlos is tiptoeing around. Since I'm the uh, dedicated bad boy or not popular person on the podcast, what Carlos is saying that due to women's liberation, is there a change in the expectations or chivalry expectations from men and is an act of chivalry seen now as condescending in this me too era or is it just that young lady was having a bad day carlos is saying that it's been a lot more widespread that uh acts of chivalry are seen as patriarchy or just male chauvinism is that true queena absolutely not absolutely not I don't think there's one correlation with the other. I don't think that women's lib nor the Me Too era has anything to do with a women's attitude toward men being chivalrous. Most women want men to be chivalrous. And just because uh, that person, whoever that was that day, I think she was having a bad day. Most women would appreciate a door open, uh, pull out the chair when I sit down. Absolutely not. And women, if I'm wrong, please leave a comment. Hey, but again, like I asked Dr. Johnson, but what generation are you from? Because you're not around the same age. The generations are different now. That's true. 
I am not a city girl. <laughs> I am not a city girl. So you know what? <laughs> that might be true. You, we might need to have a city girl on the panel to answer that. Because again, I'm a Gen Xer. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's actually the point I was trying to make. And it makes me ask the question again, at what point did this happen? How could there be such a large divide from one generation to the next? So we need to be asking our own generation, what did we not do? What, where's the disconnect? What did we not do? What did we not give these young men and young women? What would Jesus do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> so to kind of touch on what Dr. Johnson mentioned, it is against the patriarchy, right? So I'm standing up against the patriarchy. I am going to be who I'm going to be. Look at Lizzo. I'm fat. I don't care what you think about me. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to stand in who I am. And who cares what you say? So, you know, I, I think she's the perfect example. Lizzo walked her butt right into the arena with her butt out and was like, <laughs> here I am. And what? Oh, at the basketball game. Right at the yeah, basketball yeah. game. The basketball and she was game. like, what? Yeah, and guess yeah. what? Women rallied around her. You go, girl. But the older people was like, she should have been ashamed of herself. But she is comfortable in the skin she's in. And so as these younger women are coming up, now you got to BBWs. Back in our day, we didn't want to be looked at as fat. So now <laughs> women are embracing every aspect of who they are. And there is nothing wrong with that. Hey, I, I love the fact that you are championing women. But... I would like to say that were Lizzo a listener, she would probably be a little bit offended by you calling her fat. No, you she calls herself fat. Quite often. No, she calls herself fat. And she's happy in her fatness. She's fine with it. She knows she's fat. That's the queen I know. Just saying. All right. So this week in excellence, it's my turn, right, gentlemen? Yes, ma'am. Of course. I'm so glad we ain't talking about 45 this week. <laughs> so this week in excellence, I have to give it to the brothers of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. They were featured on the Today Show. Great job, gentlemen, for promoting literacy amongst our children. They travel across the country promoting literacy and reading to elementary school kids. This week, they were featured again on the Today Show, reading to second graders from Promise Academy in Harlem. Um, so again, big ups to the brothers of Kappa Alpha Psi. So proud of you guys. I see you. Do your shimmy. Do your thing. Thank you for sharing that, Queen. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing. I love it. They got active in the community. Uh, you know, but I, I have to be uh, a critic. One, uh, no one reads books anymore. Why don't you get them a... Uh, uh, a Kindle or an iPad that it may help. Here we go. Uh, two. It's the hater. <laughs> they are promoting literacy. Do not. Let me stop joking. It's a great thing. Okay. I'm joking. Thank you. Educate. No, he wasn't. I can promise you, he wasn't. They are promoting literacy. He was 100. <laughs> Serious. We will, he was about to go in. We will have the fraternity discussion on another show. Uh, I will let the listeners know that I am surrounded by two men of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated. And they have been <laughs> dying. So next time we will have that. Discussion. But today, let's give it up for the noobs. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, 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 I'm not going to hate. I,
I think that was that's awesome. That was awesome, man. You know, and that's what it's all about. You know, I would hope that we all join our respective organizations to change lives, man. Absolutely. Do something transcendent. Absolutely. And leave our mark on the world, you know. So I was taking that queen of, you know, big ups to the brothers of Capital Appleside, man. You guys did a phenomenal job and you deserve the credit for that. I'm not going to just because I'm an Omega sit here and hey, that was some awesome stuff. Great job. I just wonder, are they going to turn the pages for the kids with the cane? No. Ooh. no. Okay. Here we go. Oh. Here we go. Here we go. Here we Let's go. wrap it up. Let's nah, wrap it up, Carlos. Come on with the closing remarks. But yeah, man, uh, we're not going to do that. But closing remarks, guys, what do you guys have? Jump. So I would just, I would just like to... Uh, uh... Ladies first, Dr. Johnson? Where your home no. training at? Look, I... You can move Texas and lost it in Louisiana home training? Look, I tossed it to him because I was trying to think of what I'm going to say. Thank you, ma'am. Don't you know Women's what I'm doing? Dr. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> I think... Miss Queen, I think he was mansplaining, but we'll talk to him about that he later. He was mansplaining. We'll teach him what that is later. <laughs> I am offended that you called him that little fool that I don't know what mansplaining is. How can you just sit there and just assume that we'll teach him what that is later? So, which, which by the way, let I, me don't, I ain't gonna even. Like <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh. I knew as soon as you opened your mouth, you know me so well. You hit me with it. Gut punch me again. Oh. <laughs> fake, fake, new, fake news and fake outrage. All righty. So, <laughs> uh, listeners, again, uh, we would definitely like to make sure you have some takeaways from our podcast that we're doing this out of a civic duty that we understand that information in the information age, we definitely want to share, share our experiences, share our backgrounds. So we're going to send out the link in order for you to leave us voicemails. We'll have to send the link out to you. We'll post it on Facebook. We're putting together a social media platform in order for you to respond. I love the responses we've gotten. We've gotten people sending out information on different topics, things they would like for us to cover. We're definitely paying attention to those, even though some of them are rejected within our production meeting, Silk and Diamond, but that's okay. Not happening. <laughs> we, not have, we will not I have knew, Step and Fetch It. I knew he was going to go back to it, Queen. We will not have the female Step and Fetch It on this show. So, so to, to move away from that conversation, I would like to say that I think that the big takeaway and something that you can use and apply to yourself, your life, and the people that you influence is that we pass along those values. I think Miss Queena hit on an excellent point that if we want these values to continue being passed down through generations, to bridge that generational divide, that we have to pass on this information, be engaged, have the tough conversations. Don't just get mad at the youngster because they don't understand how to be sociable, but teach the youngster how to be sociable. And that's my takeaway from today's show. And I'll say for the youngster, find you somebody and sit at their feet. You don't know everything. 
I will share that one of the most valuable experiences I had coming out of undergrad when I joined my first grad chapter is I had the opportunity to sit at the feet of one of the most graceful women. And I cannot tell you how much she poured into me. So young people, don't be too proud to sit at somebody's feet and let them pour into you and learn from somebody. And in life, we will always fall. But if you fall, try to fall on your back because if you can look up, you can get up. That's from Queena. Bam. I like that. Look at your poetic side. Look, look at it. Dropping pearls and wisdom. <laughs> Five pearls, that is. But yeah, guys, I would have to say that both of you guys did a great job touching on some excellent points. And my only closing remark would be, guys, we have to be able to do both. You know, I understand that technology is a large part of you guys' lives, but take some time at least once a week to put the phone down. Let's get to know my family all over again. Let's get to know my friend all over again. Have some face-to-face -face interaction so you can enhance your social skills and be able to have more meaningful interactions with people because there are more languages than just the verbal language body language, to be able to read what's in a person's eyes, to be able to peer into their soul. You can't do that through an apparatus. That has to be done in person. So that would be my remarks. And just in case you're wondering, Carlos, my love language is acts of kindness and uh, give me money, since that's what you was talking about. Just I won't say a word. <laughs> I will not say a word. I knew it was coming. I knew she was cocked and ready. I knew it. I heard her breathing. I will not say a word. Hey, hey, I, hey her I'm... cadence, her breathing cadence increased. I said, yeah, she coming with it. What's your love language, Dr. Johnson? Uh, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone. So as we, as I, as, as our ooh, I'm not touching that one, Carlos. So as our listeners can tell, I'm a bit of a non-typical personality and non-typical person. A lot of the times, I just want to be able to just hear myself think. So that's my love language. Okay. Well, since we're going around the room, Carlos, give the people your love language, and then we'll sign it on off. I. You know, pretty much don't have a love language. The picture Dr. Johnson painted of me in episode two never left the recesses of my brain. He kind of bagged me into the cave and everything. So I don't have a love language. I still use the club and just pop. beat your wife over the head, huh? Come on. Drag a while water to go, Doc. Wait a minute, Doc. Wait a minute. Carlos, the. the What's someone's love language to you, not you to them? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I 100% misinterpreted the question. <laughs> Thank you for reiterating, Dr. Johnson. And, and that was mansplaining. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I was waiting. I knew it was coming. I knew it was the coming. Boomerang, uh, the boomerang of faith. Hey, well, go ahead and close yeah. us out, Carlos. Yeah, guys, I know we 
kind of joked a lot this episode, and we touched on a lot of topics in a short period of time. But I, I do appreciate you guys tuning in, listening, giving us your feedback, and suggesting topics for us because it gives us that reassurance that what we're doing has value. And we value you guys' opinions. So please don't hesitate to share with us. Subscribe. There you go. Go ahead. Take it, Queen. Like, share, subscribe, and follow us. There you go. And let my colleagues know that you do like conservative topics, too. Wow. What's eating Gilbert Grape over here? (laughs) Can we stop recording now? (laughs) (laughs) All right.